Welcome to Wealth Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, John Lawson, Senior Wealth Advisor at Asante Wealth Management and Sauna Family Office. We are always looking for unique ways to educate our client families and be introduced to new clients. At Sauna Family Office, we help business owners and affluent families navigate the complexities of wealth through a variety of wealth management and family enterprise oversight services. So today on Wealth Wisdom, I'm excited to speak with Jeff Chan, who is a Senior Analyst for Responsible Investing at CI Investments. As the firm's ESG subject matter expert, he's responsible for working with CI's portfolio management teams to integrate ESG factors into the investment decision-making process and to identify material ESG risks and opportunities across portfolios. In his role, Jeff also contributes to the overall advancement of responsible investment at CI, including through product development and briefing company leadership on industry trends. In addition, Jeff holds dual responsibility for advancing corporate responsibility at CI Financial, the parent company of CI Investments. Prior to his role at CI, Jeff held positions with Advisory Services Group at Substain Analytics and the Corporate Sustainability Group at RBC. Jeff holds a Bachelor of Science in Life Sciences from McMaster University and a Master of Science in Sustainability Management from the University of Toronto. Jeff is also fluent in French, but because I am not, this will just be done in English. So uh, welcome to our Wealth Wisdom Podcast, Jeff. Uh, let's start out of the gates. Uh, straightforward question. What is ESG and how has it evolved? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks, John, uh, for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Um, so ESG, the acronym stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Um, and really, um, when you think about ESG, um, it's bringing in additional factors that are under the environmental, social and governance lens. Um, into the investment process. So really how that's evolved over time, um, you know, really started with exclusions. Um, so, you know, picking different industries that um, you maybe don't like, or it doesn't align with your values um, and just excluding them from the investable universe. Um, that's evolved um, since that time to something that's a little bit more comp complex, a um, little, little bit more robust in that you're actually looking at environmental, social, and governance factors alongside traditional financial factors, essentially to build um, a more holistic uh, perspective of a company that you're investing in, um, which is important, right? Because more and more, the value of companies is intangible. Um, so those types of aspects um, that really uh, contribute towards company performance don't always show up in a balance sheet or an income statement. And so taking into consideration ESG factors, um, more and more important um, nowadays than perhaps ever before. And on the far end of the spectrum as well, you have impact investing, thematic investing, where you pick specific themes um, to invest in uh, environmental and social themes, for example, um, or you're investing in um, environmental and social areas that specifically are targeting positive impact for the environment and society. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge spectrum. It's, uh, it's uh, come a long ways. Um, and really this, I think answers my next question, but I, I do get this from clients is, is this just kind of a fad or is, or is it really here to stay and continue 
evolving? Yeah, um, I get that question a lot as well, uh, John. Um, and so I, it, it's here to stay. Um, I mean, if you just look at you know this concept of sustainability, right? So you, you take you strip out the investment side of it for a second. You just take a look at um, some of the things that have been around for a long time, like energy efficiency, um, recycling, and then now in, in more recent examples, you see you know meteoric rise of EVs. Um, you see renewables. You see um, you know, countries and cities setting net zero targets. Um, this is really becoming something that's ingrained in our behavior and ingrained in the way that we actually operate in society and will operate going forward. And if you just look at consumers as well, um, consumers have a less tolerance um, today um, for irresponsible behavior. Um, I think consumers are also willing to select brands and pay a premium perhaps for those brands who you know, are more environmentally conscious, more socially conscious. And then the third thing I'll say is, if you think about the major um, ESG issues, like climate change is a great example of this. Um, it wasn't too long ago where climate change was really something that people talked about, but it wasn't really um, something that we felt in our day to day. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, I can agree that as humans, until we actually feel something impacting us, um, we don't always believe that it's true. Um, and, but if you just look at, um, you know, severe weather, um, the frequency of, of, of bad storms, of tropical storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, um, and the, the intensity of those things, um, we're starting to feel like I was just talking to my mother the other day and, you know, I'm from, uh, I'm from Richmond Hill, uh, just north of the city of Toronto. And, um, there was a tornado that touched down not too far from my parents' house. And my, my mom said wow. to me, oh my God. Um, that's crazy. This tornado touched down like 30 minutes away from our home. And this climate change thing you've been talking to me about for years is actually real. And my, my, my mother is, is not even, she, she's not, you know, she's not certainly not anti ESG, but she's not a pro ESG person either. And so the fact that, you know, I'm having more and more conversations like that with people like my mother really suggests to me that we're actually seeing the impacts. We're feeling it. And once we feel it, it becomes real. So without a doubt, it's here to stay. Yeah, and uh, you, you you talk about that example with your mom and their tornado here in BC. We really feel it where the, the province is just ablaze. Uh, yeah. We've had a summer like no other uh, where um, you know, we've had a little bit of rain in there, but essentially uh, since June, um, it hasn't really rained. And we've gone through some extreme heat uh, to just heat. Uh, yeah. and, uh, that's not normal. Uh, you know, normally we have the, uh, uh, people call us the wet coast as opposed to the West coast. Uh, so, you know, we've had good summers before, but it, it's just, where we seem to be seeing this trend. So, uh, totally understand. I think more and more people are, are feeling it. So they, uh, uh, are believing uh, in it a little bit more. Yeah, Absolutely. So again, if we kind of go back, uh, I, I'm, uh, as I alluded to off air uh, with you, I'm a little older than you, um, but when, when this first kind of hit my radar, it was re referred to as ethical investing and, and yeah. it was uh, kind of a, a brand name and a marketing uh, uh, side. Um, what's, what's the difference now, or is there a difference? 
Yeah. Um, so th there is there is absolutely a difference um, in what they technically are. I would say that even still, though, um, the terminology sort of gets jumbled a little bit um, depending who you talk to. Um, you know, this concept of ESG investing, you can call it ethical investing, impact investing, ESG investing. It just depends who you talk to. Uh, but there are some nuances. So I mentioned this earlier when I talked about the evolution of ESG, uh, but ethical investing, um, I would say really is the roots of what we know today as you know the broader concept of ESG investing, um, also known as, um, you can also consider ethical investing to be socially responsible investing or SRI. Um, and this is where, again, um, you know, we'd exclude um, industries or companies that perhaps don't align with your values. Um, and but again, like I said before, that's evolved into a broader concept around, you know, considering, um, you know, more qualitative environmental and social aspects in the investment process. Now, it's important to make that distinction between ethical investing or SRI and e broader ESG investing, because I believe that that's really where some of that, 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 um, that myth around um, ESG investing detracting from financial returns comes from. Uh, because if you really think about it, when you think about just the basics of portfolio construction and the need for diversification and the desire to produce portfolio volatility, um, diversification is important. And, and so if you're just excluding industries um, right off the bat um, you know, from your investable universe, um, Theoretically, you could impact your ability um, to manage portfolio volatility and reduce diversification, and therefore you're impacting portfolio portfolio risk return profiles. Um, but today, what ESG investing is, it's not excluding things from the investable universe. Um, nobody's saying you can't invest in X, Y, Z. It's it's saying, well, hold on a second. If we're looking at a given sector, a given company, let's look beyond just what we see in the financial statements to try and become better investors, right? To drive um, better outcomes for clients, drive better returns for portfolios. And so that's really what I would say the difference is today. Um, and it's an important distinction to make. Yeah, uh, that's uh, thanks for touching on that because it was one of the areas that I had a question about in terms of, do you give up return if you're, you are being, uh, responsible in this manner, or if you have these values and this belief, um, some people uh, do believe that. Uh, well, I I can't invest in some things then, uh, and and that's true. But um, does it really impact? And so what you're saying is is um, it it doesn't have to. It's a lens through which we look through when we're making uh, investment decisions. Yep, exactly. And if, if you look historically at, um, you know, fund returns, index returns, um, you'll see that, um, you know, funds that are um, adopting an ESG investing strategy. Um, so looking at ESG factors as part of the investment process, they perform uh, just as well, if not better over the long term. And if you really think about it, um, I actually think that um, there's potential to outperform as well uh, in the future, because when maybe this is a little too simple a way to thinking about the stock market, but um, you know, it's a supply and demand. So if, you know, and, and, and that's really driven by sales um, at the end of the day. And so if consumers are shifting their um, consumption behaviors to um, buy products and services from companies who are more environmentally conscious are better performers when it comes to ESG um, factors, 
um, you could potentially see the stock price um, go up and you know investors willing to pay premium um, for those companies because at the end of the day like supply and demand for their products is driving the company's success and that sort of translates over to the investment side so I'm not saying that happens all the time but in theory um, you could see that moving forward especially as um, the the concept of ESG just becomes more prevalent over time yeah. Yep. I, and that, that's interesting you touch on that. I've, I've, I've seen that playing out. So a uh, uh, great point. And that, so that kind of brings me to um, our uh, uh, company, CI Investments. Um, what does it mean to our clients that we're signatories to the UN principle of responsible investing and, and also being a member of the Responsible Investment Association? Uh, do, does that really mean anything to them? Yeah, I mean, certainly um, it, what I would say is the UNPRI is, um, you know, the global body uh, for ESG investing. And so, you know, any firm who um, has some degree of commitment to ESG investing and implementing that practice into their own, um, into their business, um, you know, um, usually are signatories to the UNPRI. Um, now over time, um, this is just my personal opinion, but the, you know, the, the value of the PRI um, has maybe diminished a little bit because there's just so many um, companies um, signing on. And really, um, you know, if you look at the reporting framework, it, it almost becomes uh, kind of like a tick box. Um, so, so I don't, I mean, I don't, um, I wouldn't say that just because you're a UNPRI signatory, um, you know, it means that you're super committed to this stuff. I think at the end of the day, it's really, you know, what are you doing in your investment processes? What types of solutions are you offering your clients? But absolutely, the PRI is, is sort of a baseline um, you know, uh, thing that you can look at to say, okay, at least I, I can feel confident that this firm has at least thought about being committed to this. Um, the RIA um, is a little bit of a different organization. It's really um, an education, advocacy kind of industry group. Um, and I would say that, I mean, being a part of the RIA is significant for a few different reasons. Um, so the first reason is that, you know, the RIA is really an essential component of driving the ESG investment industry forward. Um, and so, you know, having the backing of firms like CI enables them to do that. So by being a member, um, you know, we are contributing to that organization, being able to advocate for change. Um, the second thing is for, from, from a firm perspective, um, it does provide a lot of really good educational resources um, for us as a firm that we can, you know, whether it's engaging with our peers, um, engaging um, on specific topics to try and drive change in the industry, um, or simply just, you know, going to a conference, um, going to, uh, you know, a, a knowledge session and just, and just seeing, and just seeing, you know, what, what advisors are saying, um, you know, what are clients saying, what are our peers doing, what's industry best practice globally, and how can we take that and translate that into our own business so that we can add value. Um, ultimately, uh, for our funds and for our clients. So then, really, to to, to summarize my understanding, of what you said, the, the UNPRI was was more of an initial catalyst to uh, help coax uh, um, investment firms around the world to adhere to a certain criteria. Uh, and the RIA now is is more of that educational. Uh, um, 
body that that helps the sharing uh, of ideas and uh, and pushing the, uh, the the movement forward. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. RIA is 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 Canadian as well, so it's it's very focused on Canada. Um, UNPRI is global, of course, and I mean. I know that I said, you know, the UNPRI, um, you know, maybe it's, it's not as, um, not as much of a, you know, quote unquote hot thing than, uh, than it used to be when it first came out, but nonetheless, like we, I, as, as a firm, like we still get asked by clients, um, you know, are you a signatory? I mean, it's, it's almost, you can think of it like a, a bare minimum, uh, for doing business to be qualified to do business, particularly on the institutional side. Um, but the way that things are moving it it's it's less and less about okay are you a signatory or not it's like well what are you doing um uh, show me what you're doing and and how is what you're doing adding value um that's really what it's all about today it's more very outcomes driven uh versus process oriented like it maybe used to be okay and, and so that kind of leads me into uh, CI, and obviously this is a strong value that they have uh, uh, to uh, be um, very ESG conscious and, and, and move that direction. So what are the uh, core components uh, of that value and, and what's our uh, uh, process for adhering to this? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different levers um, through which um, you know we 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 sort of live this uh, ESG narrative, if you will. Um, so first off, um, at the investment level, um, so I I sit uh, on the investment team um, now the the integrated CA Global Asset Management team that we just um, you know amalgamated uh, late last year. So I sit on that team, um, and really how we do it is that we look at um, we look at a couple things. So we do portfolio reviews um, where we look at, you know, we set thresholds for, um, you know, we call them ESG risk thresholds. So that looks at, um, you know, how companies are performing relative to their peers. Has this company been involved in any significant uh, egregious events? So think like, you know, the Facebook data breach, the, the Equifax yeah. data breach, the Wells Fargo fake accounts, those types of things. Um, and then the other thing we do, which is, uh, you know, more proactive, because I mean, the portfolio reviews are kind of reactive, if you ask me, because it's sort of after the fact, after you invested, um, but more proactively, um, it's, it's looking at identifying material ESG factors for the different companies and the different sectors we invest. Um, and then we identify those for what we deem to be material um, security. So it's either we already hold the security in large proportion of the portfolio, or um, it's reached a certain um, level in terms of the research process pre-investment um, because, you know, um, with resources being limited, there's not always an opportunity to look at every single security that we possibly invest in, but we identify, you know, the most material ones and the ones that, um, you know, we put the largest positions in. Um, mind you, that's evolving over time, but we'll look at, we'll identify material ESG factors for those securities and sectors, and we'll do a deep dive. Um, so I'll go and I'll do a deep dive leveraging, you know, industry frameworks, uh, my own knowledge, uh, company disclosures to really build um, almost like you can think of it like a company brief um, for the portfolio manager, the analyst to sort of incorporate that into their research that they're doing on that company. And I just want to pause there and talk about material ESG factors and the, and the, and the idea of materiality and why that's important. There have been a lot of studies out there that have shown that if a company focuses on material ESG factors, they 
they have they tend to outperform their peers versus if the company just simply tries to do everything under the sun uh, related to ESG, they actually may underperform. Um, so as investors, it's really important for us to, to understand and to be comfortable with what we feel is material um, so that you know we can use that information to add value uh, performance wise and generate some alpha for our clients. Um, so that's that that's on the on on the portfolio management day to day side. Um, the second lever I want to talk about is product. Um, so this process that I just described that sort of applies to um, the in house managed funds. Um, they're not ESG branded funds. They're not dedicated ESG mandates. Um, but when I say product, I specifically mean ESG solutions. So ones where, you know, ESG comprises a very prominent aspect um, of the investment process. Um, it's not just something that we look at side by side. It's actually a fundamental component of the decision-making process. Um, so, you know, we've been busy. Uh, we launched uh, the, the uh, CI ESG Impact Fund um, a few years ago. And then we recently launched uh, a number of funds that uh, I'm sure we'll get into later in the conversation uh, to support our clients in achieving their ESG investment objectives. And then the third lever um, that I want to talk about is education and engagement. And education and engagement sort of spans uh, different levels. So there's one component where we engage with company management, of course, to communicate what we think as investors, what we want to see. And, and we try to add value to company management, we try to get value from those conversations as well, so we can understand better what they're doing uh, from an ESG performance perspective. And then there's education uh, for our clients, for our advisors, um, for our sales team, and just internally as a firm. Um, because, you know, there, there's a, there is a, there is an educational gap that exists in the market today. Like, I'm sure you've experienced it, John, where um, you know, clients may come in and they're sure they're, they're very interested in ESG investing, but they don't know exactly where to start um, or exactly what everything means. And so, you know, the, the, you know, the onus falls on your, yourself to educate your clients, but then you can only do that if you yourself are educated about it. And so there's this whole lever of education that we need to tackle because it's one thing for us to, you know, manufacture solutions for our clients. Uh, but if they don't know what they're buying um, and the people that are selling those products don't know what they're selling, um, then it really limits your ability to actually add value. And so those are the three levers that we look to tackle um, when it comes to ESG investing for our clients and for our process. Oh boy, Jeff, you just, uh, I'm, I'm scrambling how to tackle this now because you nailed a bunch <laughs> of points that uh, I, I just wanted to to touch upon. So I just want to um, maybe uh, clarify and, and uh, touch back on a, a couple things that you, sure. you said there. Um, so let's talk, you made mention there of the education and with companies that you're uh, curious and uh, uh, or thinking about investing with or are currently invested. Um, so one of my questions was, how do you help them improve their ESG? Do you, yeah. uh, um, do you use the power of vote uh, for the shares that we hold? Or is it simply a, a conversation? Is it a combination of a number of things? I'm just, I'm curious how that, that, that works. Yeah, sure. Um, so overall, I would say our, our approach to engaging with companies is evolving. 
um, you know, as we speak, but it's a little bit of both the voting side and the conversations. Um, I'm more involved on the conversation side than I am on the voting side. Um, our general voting policy is that, you know, we vote in the best interest of the funds. Um, ESG considerations are definitely part of that um, thinking and that conversation, uh, because, you know, if there's an ESG related shareholder resolution that, you know, um, you know, we feel uh, the company really needs to address, then we'll, of course, um, support that. Um, right. But that's really that that's really more on the, you know, the onus of the portfolio manager to exercise that vote versus somebody like myself. Um, but really where I like I said, where I'm more involved is in the conversation. And so um, in my experience, I find that companies, um, they get a lot of value in hearing from their investors. Um, and that's not just ESG, but for for anything. Um, so ESG included in that, of course. And, and so what I found is that you know, companies don't always know where to prioritize and they don't always know where to allocate capital when it comes to ESG initiatives. And so ultimately they want to hear from their investors, where do you want to see me um, allocate my capital? Where do you want to see me invest in? Because ultimately uh, I want to make sure that you're still willing to give me capital, um, right? To, to do these initiatives. And so when we have these conversations, um, it's it's nothing like do this or else. Um, there's no ultimatums involved. It, it's it's really just meant to be a constructive conversation. Saying, um, look, uh, you know, really appreciate all the disclosure you're currently providing, uh, but really would love to see uh, more of this, uh, less of that, or I'd like to see you add this uh, because uh, we think it's important. And, and I'll do this um, in collaboration with the investment team. Um, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, they'll be there as well. We'll do due diligence um, beforehand as well, just to make sure we're on the same page and, and to make sure that, again, linking you back to materiality, we're making sure that we're engaging with those companies on what we feel to be material. Uh, and if we do that and we do that effectively, not only does it add value for the company because they're hearing something from thoughtful from their investors, but for us, um, you know, if we think it's material, then it could have, a, could have an impact on our investment decision. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, fantastic. Thanks for walking us through that. Um, I, and again, more of a curiosity question. Um, has it ever come to a point? And I know you said it's not, uh, you don't try and ever use it as a threat, but yeah. uh, have, have you seen the situation where a company's just going the wrong way? And so we divest of that uh, uh, investment because it's just not following uh, our core beliefs uh, and, and going the right direction. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I mean, our policy generally is to um, engage before we divest. Like divest, divesting would be the absolute last resort. Um, now that being said, um, I, I know that we have in the past perhaps adjusted our positions in the portfolios. I obviously, can't speak to that in great detail, but I know that um, we've adjusted it um, due to. Um, ESG considerations. So whether that just be whether that being you know we talked to the company or uh, you know we saw something that we didn't like um, you know from from the ESG data that we subscribe to um, you know we looked into it and then maybe decided to um, adjust the positioning in the portfolio. Um, I can't think of a specific example where it's come to divesting uh, because of the ESG considerations specifically. Um, of course, the vesting occurs, um, you know, uh, normally, uh, but I don't know of any case where, um, you know, we, we talked to a company or we saw something that we really, really just didn't like or didn't agree with. And so we had to sell the stock. Um, don't know of an instance there. 
Yeah. And, and as you had said before, they, they tend to be uh, very responsive to uh, feedback because yeah. they, uh, they, they do want the capital from the investors and they do want to do the right things. And uh, again, to your point, they sometimes just don't understand what they need to prioritize. So they appreciate that and they'll respond. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if I could just come back to maybe the, the vesting uh, that concept, because I think it's really important. I think, um, you know, like it's really easy to say, I don't like this company, so I'm going to sell the stock um, or it's a dirty company. So I'm going to sell the stock um, again, personal opinion here, but I, I don't, I don't agree with that, that way of thinking because, you know, companies require capital to make changes and sure, um, you know, the industry they operate in might be considered to be dirty or harmful at the moment, but if they're really sincerely trying to make an effort to make a change, um, they need capital to do that. Selling the stock, um, it's not gonna, it's not really gonna do anything. You lose your ability to talk with the company, to hold the company accountable. And the other thing is if everybody sells, um, you know, the stocks of quote unquote dirty companies, um, you know, that company still exists. And so perhaps the stock will trade at a discount and somebody who, you know, doesn't really care as much about progress for that company will pick it up for the cheap. And, um, you know, it's it, it, the, the world ultimately doesn't get any better uh, and the company doesn't get the capital they need. And, you know, it, it's not it's not just clean tech companies or, or, you know, environmental companies who need the capital. Um, you know, I, I often say, you know, the, the dirtier companies also need some love as well, um, you know, if they want to move forward. So I think it's that whole concept around divesting immediately um, is maybe not quite the way to go when you're really trying to consider what ESG investing is at the core. Yeah, Jeff, that's that's a fantastic point. The uh, uh, You're better to stay in the game and have the influence and direct it to uh, the right way as opposed to turning your back on them and uh, uh, leaving them to their ways because they get desperate and continue to do the things that maybe produce dollars now, uh, but aren't helpful in the long run. So uh, yeah. great explanation. Um, just wanted to come back to your comments on um, uh, CI's uh, uh, approach with ESG. And so what I heard you say, and what I uh, believe I know, uh, is that there's really two levels. Um, one is broad-based application of ESG principles across everything that we do. So in essence, if, if you were uh, saying that you can say ESG is woven into the fabric and the process of what we do with each and every fund, each and every investment decision. Um, but then on top of that, if you really want to drill down and be very specific on ESG driven investments, um, and that's the main factor, then there's specialty uh, um, investment pools for that. Is that what you're Correct. saying? And Correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, ESG, you know, is applied more broadly at the firm um, to varying degrees, right? Depending on, you know, the asset class, the market, the, the sector, the even at the, the individual portfolio managers, everybody wants to implement in their own way. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to specific solutions, uh, John, you're absolutely correct. Um, CI 
has a number of dedicated ESG strategies where ESG is the focus uh, of the strategy and not just sort of a something that's done in conjunction um, with an existing process. And so um, maybe it's a good time to just maybe get into some of those solutions sure. now. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, um, you know, a couple of years ago, we launched the CI MSCI World ESG Impact Fund. It's an ETF and a fund. Um, so that strategy uh, is an impact investing strategy. So it invests across 11 different uh, environmental and social areas. So like clean water, renewable energy, education, nutrition, um, really investing in companies that are, tr that are, you know, whether it's through products or services that they provide to the marketplace are having a positive impact on some environmental or social theme, which is one or more of the 11 um, that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, that fund also does not invest in fossil fuel companies. Um, so it's ex-fossil fuels. Um, so no oil and gas producing companies in that portfolio. Um, it has a number of other revenue-based exclusions based on MSCI's screening methodology around alcohol, tobacco, gambling, uh, weapons, um, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, we recently just launched uh, a number of new strategies uh, over the last, seriously, I think the last three weeks, um, we launched these strategies. Um, so the first one we launched was the CI Global Climate Leaders Fund. Um, it's managed by Monroe Partners. Um, and that one really seeks to, it's a thematic fund, first of all, um, and it seeks to invest in companies who are positioned to uh, contribute towards the transition to a lower carbon economy in a net zero world. And um, along the same lines, uh, benefit uh, financially from that transition uh, because of their business line. So it's, you know, things like uh, renewable energy, clean technology, energy efficiency. Um, so it's a, it's a global equity fund. Uh, we're really excited about that one. Um, you know, climate's such a big theme. And then, so we really wanted to have something in that area. And, and we feel that Monroe is, um, you know, excellent position to, 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 um, to, to, to manage that given their ongoing interest for quite some time now around climate change. Uh, and then the third, um, solution uh, that we launched is we launched three ESG mosaic portfolios. So we have a balanced income portfolio, a balanced neutral portfolio, and a balanced growth portfolio. And so that one really, um, the purpose of those, those solutions is to provide our clients um, with these, what I call core ESG solutions. So nothing too complex by way of, you know, specific thematics or, or impact investing or exclusions, but Really, it's it's meant to be like if you if you if you're interested in ESG but you're not really sure where to start, you want to allocate some money to something that's you know um, you can have confidence um, that is more ESG conscious than you know a competing fund out there. Um, that's the one for you. It essentially it, it adopts the mosaic, the existing mosaic platform uh, model where um, we hold uh, a number of ETFs in the portfolio, and those ETFs are of course ESG ETFs. Uh, including our global climate ETF, as well as the um, uh, world ESG impact ETF amongst, uh, you know, other uh, third-party ETFs as well. Wonderful. Thanks, uh, Jeff. The, the, I'll touch on uh, a last point that you had made earlier uh, in that barrage of points that I was scrambling to remember, uh, <laughs> wanted to touch back on, but uh, that, that was just knowledge and education. Uh, and, um, the 
you, you made the point that if uh, sometimes clients don't know uh, what they're investing in, but also times advisors don't know what they're investing in. And, yeah. and so um, that really comes back to the whole reason for the podcast. And that is to help uh, create awareness and knowledge and uh, maybe tweak somebody's uh, curiosity just enough so that they they ask the question. And, um, yeah. and for myself, I love doing these podcasts because no matter how much I research or know about the subject, I always learn something. So uh, it's been fabulous having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time and on uh, behalf of myself and my clients uh, and, and those others that listen out there. Uh, very much appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. It was a pleasure. Great to talk to you. And uh, thanks again for having me on. A big thank you again to Jeff Chan for being our guest today on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. I think you'll agree Jeff's passion for his work shows through in the conversation we had. And I'm privileged to have the ability to reach out to him and his team for any help our clients need in this area. If you have questions or would like information on how we implement our strong belief of embedding ESG lens into our decision-making process, please reach out and we're happy to help. On our next episode of Wealth Wisdom, I'll be speaking with my partner, Josh Dick, about the five key stress points that people who are referred to us tend to have and how we help with that. Our goal is to educate and engage you. If you have any topics you would like us to dive deeper into, please let us know. This feedback and you giving us a review would be very much appreciated. For those of you who don't know the origin of the name Sauna Family Office, it stems from the meaning of Asante, which is Swahili for thank you. However, the most commonly spoken phrase in Swahili regarding Asante is Asante Sauna, which means thank you very much. This name represents our gratitude towards all of the families and business owners who have chosen our team as their trusted advisory council. Until next time, Asante Sauna. Hi, I'm Trevor Beggs from Sauna Family Office, and thanks for listening to John Lawson and the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. Here are the necessary disclosures. Asante Capital Management is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the above, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast.